This is Coda Radio, episode 193 for February 22nd, 2016. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our sophisticated host, established with what looks like a weapon in his hand. Why, yes, folks, is Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hello, Chris, and a hearty bonjour to anyone in Montreal today. Oh, what's the what's the occasion? I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm a little punchy today, so I'll just go with it. I was yesterday, you know, I'll tell you what, Mike. Yesterday was one of those days where it, I don't always mind working a nine-to-nine day, you know, like a 12-hour day. That's a half day, buddy. Sure, sure. But on a yeah. Sunday, that's the day of rest, Mike. That's that's. You, you remember what Jesus said. Well, I'm. I believe he told me I'm not supposed to work on a Sunday, so I'm, I'm feeling no. what he. His newest prophet, Britney Spears, has a song. Title is "Work Bitch." <laughs> I know. The, totally. the subtitle is "Twice on Sunday." Yeah, apparently. Uh, you know, I made a big mistake. I had a two-hour show, a two-hour and ten-minute show of the Linux Action Show, and 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 in and in video encoding and in video editing. Uh, there is this magical threshold at the uh, 59 minute and 59 second mark when you cross that it 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 exponentially becomes more work the encoding becomes way more work the rendering uh, the way the system is processing these large files to analyze the waveforms just becomes an unbelievable monstrous task for the system uh encoding the webm literally goes at actual real time so, in fact, sometimes even less than real time. So if it's a two-hour file, sometimes it takes more than two hours to encode. It was brutal, Mike, brutal. So I'm here, I'm raw, and I'm ready to go. I'm fired up about today. So uh, no, no I pressure. Have, I have a raging, absolutely throbbing, raging Donald Trump for some people today. Yeah, you got – you got uh, – I will – you know, I, I kind of, I, I kind of talked about midway in the show today, but you got something coming up that I'm just going to sit back I'm, and I, I brought my buckle like you told me to. I brought so I can buckle up to my chair, and uh, I'll stand by for turbulence. But before oh, we get into tur- turbulence, uh, you were tweeting recently that uh, you had a uh, well. C- could you explain? Because since the last show, like you've had some hardware failures, you've been swapping machines, you've been running on yeah, Linux, so like. It's- it's something in an SD card uh, into your Mac and expanding the hard drive. Shockingly, not a great idea. So the, so the machine that had the drive pop on you was the machine that you did the expanded disk thing on? Yes, it was. You're joking. Yep. No. Now, close. do you think it's related? It must be, right? I mean, I only know what the Genius Bar told me, that the drive was all screwed up. Um, so, yay! Yeah, I, I, it... it it would be an amazing coincidence if it wasn't, right? I just I find that to be like uh super scary. Yeah, and um it's also it's particularly like Linux has its own bag of problems. 
But the Mac OS kernel and the way they, the updates work and all of that, to do something that it works at like the driver level like that is extremely, extremely difficult on the Mac. And I'm, I'm just basing that on years now of uh, third-party uh, You know, I should have known better, right? Because like the crappiest part of OS X is the file system. So let me shove an SD card into it and expand it. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, and it's to be honest with you, it's a bad file system complicated by the fact that their driver model makes the Linux driver model look uh, uh, evolved. Because uh, I have several, like I have third-party uh, uh, um, capture devices, lots of capture devices. I even have external encoding devices that hook up via PCI Express that offload uh, H.264 encoding. Like I've got all these different types of devices. And... They fundamentally break between updates, uh, and so much to the point now where let's see what there's a Mac that runs a soundboard in the studio, and it's it's hard locked right now at ten point nine point five because if I update it, then when you go to the next version, FireWire support is is removed uh, because of something that changed in OS ten, and you have to switch over to Thunderbolt. And only I there's a lot of people that report that switch over from controlling the mixer via FireWire to Thunderbolt. Uh, it really screws things up, but also it locks me into always using a Mac from that point forward because once you switch over to Thunderbolt, the there's a firmware update that goes to my mixer, and it only works over Thunderbolt to a Mac from that point forward. And it's that kind of like there's these weird things that happen after incremental OS updates that ruin third-party devices. So when you're using a device that's expanding your file system and probably in theory connecting in as a kernel, you know, as a, as a, K, uh, oh, a K sure. extension – I, I mean, so to anybody who who is listening and doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about, um, I had tried the TARDIS product, which is a fancy SD card with flash storage on it that expands your Mac hard drive because my main machine was a MacBook Pro and I, I cheaped out and didn't get a big hard drive on it um, when I bought it a couple years back. So that was a problem, right? And I'm not I'm not really down with buying another machine right now. Yeah, right. Um, it, the the uh, the tar disc was in for what was it two weeks? Yeah, two maybe, half, maybe three. Maybe three. Maybe I made it three. I think I made it three. Let's give them three. Yeah, because it was and, just long enough that I forgot about it, which sounds about three I, weeks. <laughs> I, to be fair, I made no effort to confirm that was the problem, but the timeline's pretty. You know, because I had just installed a bunch more stuff, just enough to fill up my the actual drive itself, right? To so start you're probably having, just starting to use that expansion and swapping. To actually, use it. Yeah, wow. I mean, not to denigrate. I mean, maybe I got a bad unit, whatever, but uh, something I'm not going to be trying again. And uh, so this was uh, was this one of the MacBooks with the physically installed like connected disc, or did it have a removable disc? Uh, you know, I don't know. So it was interesting because. I thought it was toast, right? Because yeah, sure, man. The reason I took it to the Genius Bar was not only was it kernel panicking, but it got to the point where it wouldn't turn on at all. Wow. So I was like, all right, you know what? This is probably, like, a problem. So I went ahead and took it, and uh, they were like, yeah, this is a problem. So it turned out that the, they just had to replace the drive. And for good measure, they said the light, the backlight on my monitor, on the because it's a laptop, right? So they're all backlit. They said it was starting to be on the Fritz so they threw that in too. But. Uh, see, now, uh, we okay, so I, I was just hard on Apple. Let me shift gears here for a second and just say, we had an old used MacBook that had a faulty video card. And, and to be honest with you, I just thought, 
I just thought it was my fault because, you know, these we, we got this laptop and then it's almost running 24-7, like just cooking, right? Just absolutely cooking. Well, not 24-7, but a good solid 12 hours a day. It is running maximum CPU, maximum GPU, absolute thermal limits of the design of the hardware. And after about a year and a half, two years, the video card started crapping right. out. Started getting lines across the screen and then eventually just worse and worse and worse, couldn't boot the system. And I thought, oh, well, you know, yeah, I cooked it. I knew better. I, I knew I should be using a desktop PC for that. And then, a year and a half after that, after its warranty had expired and everything, they instituted, in fact, I think they just actually extended this program. And we're talking, Mike, this might have been a 2008, 2009, 2011 era MacBook. And they took it in, they replaced the main board and the video card. And while they were in there, they were like, well, yeah, since it sat around for a while and you couldn't really use it very well, the battery didn't uh, hold up very well. So we gave you a new battery, too. And we just installed that for you and hooked it all up. So you got a new battery. Yeah. Uh, you got a new. You got essentially a new motherboard with a Core i7 processor, 16 gigabytes of RAM, a 512 gigabyte SSD drive, and by the way, now yeah, it's got an old GPU, but it's 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 a brand new part again. And they just took a laptop that I put on the shelf and said, well, you know, I got two years out of that, and I pushed the hell out of it. And they're like, here you go, everything works, and we've even given you a brand new battery. Yeah, I um, their deal was like it's 280 dollars, and that's it. Yeah, they didn't even charge like, well, me a penny because it was right. an RMA. Oh, no, they just they were like, it's $280, and it could be less, but it won't be more. Yeah, I was, I like, was I, yeah. so yeah. That, end of the, that end of the process, like... It's really you, good. Their yeah. support is really good, yeah, because yeah. they told me that they didn't just replace the light in the monitor, which I had no idea was a problem. They said they replaced the whole assembly for it. I think that's just what they do because it's easier but for them. It's just one component. They yeah. just did it out and put a new one in. They also, I guess my computer's filthy because they said they cleaned it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, well, maybe the fans, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. but this is sort of a long way of saying. In the meantime, you pulled out like an older rig that was like a Mac Mini or something, right? Which was terrible. Yeah. And it, uh, at the time, it was running Mac OS. Uh, so this was an older Mac Mini that that you know was running Snow Leopard, I think. Okay. I had, uh, it, 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 the, it, the performance on it was was really really bad. Now it's only got four gigs. It's got a solid state drive. Um, I'm sorry. I think it had eight gigs. Eight gigs. Solid state drive. Oh, that's nice. Solid state drive is going to get you somewhere. Not, not solid state. Not oh, solid state. oh, not yeah. So spinning, spinning rest. Four hundred RPM spinning drive. Fifty four hundred. Oh, right. So this is a low end cheap Mac Mini. The eight gigs RAM was something I upgraded in it some time ago. Right. It's like you know I bought Crucial RAM off the shelf. So uh, you decided. I'm just curious. So you take it in the MacBook. It seems like honestly, you're like, well, shit. Now I need at least one working Mac to do my job. I should probably run Mac OS on this. I mean, I either have to make the you're not getting your builds phone call, which is always, you know, great, or I have to get a Mac running, right? Like, there, there's no way out of that for me, or there's no easy and affordable way out of that for me. Yeah. Right? So I spent, I would say, two and a half to three hours setting up this Mac Mini. It was unbelievably slow. I mean, for all the kudos I give Apple and their support, in terms of like legacy hardware running new versions of the OS, is yeah, you, you might as well not exist. Awful. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, it got to the point where I was sitting down deciding, you know, if because I took it in. And how are you doing this, by the way? Are you downloading ISOs from the App Store on another machine and then flashing the USB, or how are you actually even loading the OS on? A- this is where they're pretty good. Once I got a more modern version of OS 10 on it, all the other updates I could do via the. Uh, 
just via the OS. Yeah, yeah, via so. via software, but whatever the app store or whatever. But the but the issue is you're. I mean, it's not as bad on Mac OS, but you're not doing clean installs. Then you're doing several upgrades. No, no, you can, you can. So once I got um, whatever the version app, the stupid, the first cat version, right? Oh, whatever, oh and like, it, it creates that recovery partition, doesn't it? Where it, it can then right exactly ah yeah yeah so okay. like the leopard or the snow leopard had the recovery partition and that actually was smart enough to say let me let me phone home to apple and it believe it or not installed um what you know whatever the they called like the internet recovery yeah, uh, they call it the mm-hmm. new version uh, and it creates okay. a it creates like a first partition after your efi partition so it was it looks like it actually downloaded it off the wire yeah so it was a long process right yeah. downloads the image yep yep that installs it off this recovery drive or this recovery partition. Because uh, remember, these this computer has no disk drive. So it's not like I can go burn a DVD and be like, you know, whatever. Um, which wasn't bad. But then, of course, I get it on there and I have to freaking install Xcode, which is apparently <laughs> two and a half. And you have enough drive space? Oh, yeah, it's a 500. It's a okay. spinning drive. Drive yeah. space is not a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wasn't sure if it was a big spinning drive. <laughs> But I guess if it's spinning drive, that's like the one benefit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So long story short, I go through all this hassle of setting it back up. And in the meantime, you know, because I'm sitting here, I have a makeshift L-Desk, right? So on my left is the Ubuntu machine. And directly in front of me is a cinema display with uh, normally my laptop clamshelled in. And I'm just working on the Ubuntu machine. And it was actually really good. Everything was going awesome until I had to actually make an Apple binary, and then everything went to garbage because mm-hmm. didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Now I looked into services like there's people who will like lease you Mac Mini's server space. Um, I'm very very tempted to actually set up a Mac Mini server here because this is a really dumb problem to have uh, and could have been incredibly bad. Because you know, yeah, I mean, you know this from consulting, right? C- customers read it's going to be a couple days late as something horrible is happening, mm. right? It's so it's. It was not a good place, um, but there's positive news. I mean, it forced me to really work pretty much full time on the Ubuntu rig, which was immediately the big difference was the performance on the Ubuntu machine versus the Mac Mini. Yeah, this With, is what was interesting. You tweeted uh, on the 18th. You said uh, my yeah. MacBook Pro is in the shop, and I had to boot up my old Mini that is comparable spec to my hashtag Linux box. And Mac OS performs so much worse by comparison. And so go ahead and cause talk about this for a second because I did an interesting experiment myself here. Yeah, it's uh, – I'll put it to you this way. I can, I can still use the Ubuntu machine with, with you know, 8 gigs of RAM, spinning drive, nothing fancy. Um, and there's no problems at all. Like it runs fine. Yeah, I had, uh, I had a similar experience where I had an opportunity to uh, reload some older Macs. And mm-hmm. it was everything from, um, like, second or third generation Intel Macs, not the first generation, and a couple of PowerPC Macs. And uh, in in all cases, significantly, significantly, significantly faster. Significantly faster application load times. Web pages load faster. Um, everything is faster. I, stuff that you would think would be sp- strictly hardware bound, like the load time of an application or how a web page renders on your screen, um, all of it is faster on older hardware under Linux versus Mac OS. And uh, I'm wondering if you if your thoughts are, my thoughts were in our experience, this is, well, a couple of things. It would seem to reason that people that are developing different 
components of Linux have more motivation to optimize in different workloads, including lower-end hardware. And a lot of times when you optimize for server or mobile workloads, you automatically pick up efficiencies that just seem to work a lot better on lower-end hardware. So Linux has had a lot of attention there. But secondarily, and I think this gets to perhaps the feeling that Apple, if you have a certain age of machine that you don't exist, Apple doesn't go out of their way in any scenario ever to try to figure out a better way to do something via a driver a couple of years down the road. Their drivers pretty much don't change, and they don't change unless there's a security issue or they're introducing a new piece of hardware. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the Linux drivers, you know, when you load that Dell, if it's got, uh, if it's gonna, it's gonna literally have the latest Intel code written by Intel and contributed to the Linux kernel. If there's an NVIDIA card or an ATI card, it's gonna have the latest driver from NVIDIA for that card. It's gonna, there's just, there's, it's gonna be more optimized than a driver that was written five years ago. So one thing I noticed. It, it, Anything where I was hitting the hard disk on either, on either machine, that's where where really the difference seemed to be coming, right? And we're talking about compiling, stuff like that. Um, for some reason, and I think it's called HFS Plus is the reason, OS ten on a non-SSD just freaking thrashes. Like, it's unbelievably slow. Yeah, I think also... Also, I hit swap really, really fast on OS ten, mm. where I... I basically got my eight gigs of ram on the ubuntu right i mean i just like i opened activity monitor on the mac machine and i opened um uh what's this whatever you know the control panel on and on uh not android ubuntu and i think i keep calling it android ubuntu was using maybe half a gig Mm. for whatever i had just Mm -hmm. like running by default Mm -hmm. or a clean install of os 10 it was already like half the ram was was wired in it said well okay so Hold that thought because I there is something that for me under Linux where it falls apart. But before you go there, I want to say uh, I I don't know if it's the case with with uh, all Linux kernels and sch- the schedulers they use and the file systems, but I do know in some cases there is like a there is a measurement that Linux does of the response time it's getting from the from the from the file system and it will alter its cache based on the performance it's receiving from the file system and it, it you know does that at boot and then it does it continuously. And I don't know if Mac, I'm sure macOS does something like that, but that might attribute to sort of normalizing out some of the spinning platter stuff. But going back to memory usage, this is where it kind of falls apart for me because there's an application I use that seems to be across all, all of my desktops causing issues. Um, what is that? Chrome? Is it Chrome? Yeah, it's I Chrome. It's Chrome. Yeah. yeah, so that, that, that is actually a fair point. Because for some reason, Chrome murders OS X in a way that it doesn't devastate Windows or Linux. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I've so sometimes I have like um, I'll have like a I'll have a document with thirty links in it, and they're all just links that I want to open. And I I want to open all of them in tabs at once. What what happens is is I can I can open up all these links. Chrome launches them all in tabs, and then I can generate Markdown for all of the tabs I have open, all the links, and get a little bit of information. And then I can move that into the show notes, and I can take thirty links that I've been saving throughout the entire week and immediately generate show notes from that. Very useful feature for me because it would take me forever to go through thirty links after I've collected them. Um, under Linux, that can literally sometimes bring my entire computer down to its knees where all the applications in the UI become unresponsive for a few minutes. Uh, and uh, oftentimes, if 
Well, every time, if there's any tabs that have flash in them, the shockwave player will crash. It'll crash across all of the tabs. Um, and then once that sort of settles itself out, and there's all the, the, the shockwave player, dude, what, what are you doing? That's just what Chrome says when flash crashes oh. is the shock, okay. something like that. Oh. Um, yeah, I know. It's just that's the error message. Uh, so that happens, and and what's weird about it is about ten seconds, thirty seconds. I've been waiting. I'll know that okay, yeah, my system's not going to really bounce back from this for a while. I can go over to a Mac and and literally execute the same exact command because it's I take them from a dock and in Chrome, and I use an extension that's synced across all my Chrome machines, and I ex- I execute the same exact command. And there's almost no noticeable overall performance impact on the system. There's some working happening, but Chrome itself remains responsive. The UI for OS X remains responsive. Everything remains active, if not, albeit a bit slower at, on occasion, depending on how many, you know, if I'm opening 30, 50, 60 links at once. But uh, almost, an un, almost an unachievable task under Linux. And while Linux is still struggling to get the job done, after I started on Linux before I even tried on the Mac, and w- before Linux has finished the job, I've already completed the work end-to-end on the Mac. I've already gotten all the links, markdown generated, and pasted into the new dock, and closed Chrome, and closed all of those tabs before the Linux machine has even finished that one job. And I, I know yeah. it's, it's, it's got to be something Chrome's doing, but uh, then again, at the same time, should a application like that be able to take a server-grade operating system down to its knees? I don't, I don't know if that's really... So there isn't all, it can't all be Chrome's fault. Well, I mean, one thing I noticed, Chrome is, uh, Chrome is kind of its own world. I mean, I'm trying to think of how to say it. Like, I actually use Chrome all the time, right? So I'm not trying to denigrate Chrome at all. But in a, in a way, Chrome is not trying to be another application in your system, right? Chrome is trying to be, I'm replacing your system. Okay. That's how I feel. Okay, all right, right. Like, okay, okay. So, I can, I can kind of see that logic. I mean, yeah, I can kind of see that. I mean, you know what? what? Actually, why don't you – actually, I want to expand on it. Hold on. Hold that thought right there. I'm going to thank DigitalOcean for a second because now that I think about it, Mike, it, it is, it's pathetically – pathetically almost gotten to the point where what I need more than anything else is is Chrome on any desktop. And if I couldn't use Linux I, 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 with Chrome, I might have to switch. Um, before, though, before we go into that, uh, and then also we have a lot more coming up. This is this is a packed episode. This is the first topic. <laughs> so uh, let me tell you about DigitalOcean. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL and get yourself a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean. Man, the world's number two hosting provider now. That is amazing to watch them grow. And there's, there's rumors... Rumors about a new data center opening soon. I'm sure I'll tell you about that when we hear more. New Jersey. I don't think it's New Jersey. I think it's more like India. But ah, we'll wait and see. For all your Bruce Springsteen and Bon Jovi hosting needs. <laughs> it would be very convenient for Mike. So just think about it, DigitalOcean. It could be big. So what is DigitalOcean? It's your way to go spin up a machine on demand that is super fast, a great value, and really easy to manage, but not dumbed down. It's very clever in the way they've actually designed the interface. And man, does it work great. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL to get a $10 credit. You can get started in less than 55 seconds and pricing plan start at only $5 a month. You can get 512 megabytes of RAM for that. A 20 gigabyte SSD because they're all SSDs. It just goes up from there. A blazing fast CPU and a terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. And who knows, a new one may be coming soon. But it's that interface. I'm not going to lie. When I first heard about DigitalOcean... Everything besides the interface impressed me. Linux, KVM, SSDs, 40 gigabit e-connectors, connections out to the entire world, great locations for the data center, unbelievable price. 
okay, that's all pretty good. Then I started spinning up my first droplet. Then I then then I became a, a, a basically if I could marry and have DigitalOcean's child, I would. It would be a beautiful droplet human hybrid, and I would be proud of that because that interface is that good. I'm committed to that interface. That's how good that is. That's a good interface. It's really good, and they have a straightforward API. So if you don't want to use the interface, you can write some code to do some stuff or take advantage of a lot of code that already exists or just sort of be like a consumer of it on the front end. You choose your distro and they have Ubuntu, CentOS, Debian, Fedora, CoreOS, or FreeBizzle. And then you can use their API sort of not even really intending to because they will use it to deploy applications or entire stacks for you. I want to emphasize that if you're going to be deploying software in Docker, I want you to seriously consider starting with DigitalOcean's base Ubuntu 14.04 Docker image. It has prerequisite software preloaded for you. It's pulling Docker from the official Docker repos and not from the Ubuntu repos, which is a common mistake. They've integrated the GPG signatures from Docker so you make sure you're getting the right stuff. Future updates come right from upstream the way Docker wants you to get them. But the best part is, if you need to just sort of go back to basics, one click... It resets the machine right back, Ubuntu base, Docker, all that stuff. I did a Docker Nginx base, but, you know, you can mess around with this stuff. And then you just redeploy your images, your Docker containers to it, and you are literally up in seconds. A fully, like, you know what? Like, you just have any issues you don't want to have to hassle with. The fact that you can go in there and click a button, it wipes out the OS and reloads the base OS with just the packages you need, but the stuff it keeps is, like, the little stuff you don't want to have to set up again. You know, like, the, like any of the networking settings you've set in, in there, or any of the backup settings you've set up in there, or, uh, like, the DNS stuff. None of that stuff has to be redone. So it is a real quick reset right back to basics. You redeploy the container, and you are up and going. I did it three or four times when I was setting up Rocket Chat for last. And because I wanted to have a valid, known good config that I could review from. And any time I got a little iffy or things went off the rails or something, I was like, you know what? There is no reason to kind of have a sort of wiggly, iffy kind of feeling in the back of my mind. Reset. Redeploy. Back up and running in seconds. Use the promo code code or digital. Go check them out. DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring. The Coda Radio program. Uh, yeah, well, well, Jeb. I mean, if you had, you know, run it on Do, you wouldn't have these far problems. But <laughs> yeah. You went with the- oh, geez. Oh, geez. On. Yeah, we're back. We're back. Uh, we're back. You know, I wonder if that's where all that money went for Jeb because it sure didn't go to winning a campaign. It's like, but they sold me something during the checkout process. <sighs> Man, this has been. You know, not. We're not going to go. Uh, we're not going to go. Uh, uh, Poor Jeb. Po- Can we all just have just a brief? Yeah. I know. I just had to say, we're not going to go. We're not going to go politics radio here. But wow, I got to be honest, man. When this whole thing started out, uh, I mean, I was I had the death clock running more recently. But when this whole when the whole 2016 shenanigans started out, and he was one of the early ones to jump in, I I really thought we could be looking at a Hillary versus Jeb uh, all the way down. Clinton Bush the rematch. Yeah, um, but you know what? The people do not want that. (laughs) So okay. All right. So uh, we were talking about how much we hate Chrome. I think. Yeah, and what I was just going to well, what I was going to say is uh it's one of those things where here I am once again something I I don't know I I I obviously could do my job. I don't think I could do my job as well as I do it as quickly as I do it without Chrome right now. And no, I love Chrome. I, half the stuff I run is in Chrome. So. Yeah, and the thing is, uh I legitimately continue to try Firefox. And I have some applications that I now use that are are they are really 
honestly, applications like an embedded IRC application uh, is one of them. Uh, Slack and Mattermost are, are other ones. And and when I leave them running twenty four seven in Firefox, I often come back to a crashed Firefox instance. Or what happened yesterday during last is that my Purism laptop started to overheat. Oh sure, sure. And I'm like, what is going on? Why is my laptop overheating? And uh, I bring up the uh, process monitor, and I see Firefox is chewing up a hundred percent CPU. Because, well, I've had uh, an IRC client in Firefox running for uh, three hours. And so, of course, Firefox is using up 100% CPU. And so, and then that's not even to mention the fact that half the extensions I need aren't in there. This, See, is, this my, is my long yeah. way of saying, like, the workflow I have in Chrome is not really replaceable at the moment. So, yeah, it's not. I mean, it, just kind of getting really quick, right? So part of the thing that made the transition towards Ubuntu easy was Chrome. Because half, half, you know. Did you Google realize Docs, that before you started working out of Ubuntu? Uh, yeah, because I do most, like, I do all of my office work, writing invoices, everything's in Chrome. Like, in terms of, like, I don't know, what do we want to call it, like, general admin work I have to do, like accounting and crap like that? It's all in, it's all in Google, right? It's Google Drive um, and Harvest and, and all web based software. So I knew all of that stuff would be seamless. What, and in fact, if you go to DominicM.com, I wrote a little. Uh, part one about the the experience so far working on Linux. The one thing that kept coming up again and again was Linux was far better, I think, than OS X when I was using it on the command line. But once I started using GUI applications, there were weird little things that kept popping up. Like nothing, you know, workflow breaking, right? Nothing that you would be Oh, look at that! Look at that handsome devil! Look at that mm. guy! Mm-hmm. What a sweet piece! Oh Jesus! Um, <laughs> Love it on yourself. Hey, Chris, we could have a whole different show about that. <laughs> I think video would be required, <laughs> and and maybe pay per view. Oh, I. Who's not going to pay? Yeah, really? Exactly. In fact, you can pay with Apple Pay. <laughs> uh, you know, you, ooh, there's an invitation error. You. Like, we talked about the corner thing last week, right? The corners of the window frames kept getting this really weird black triangle. Yeah. Uh, the spinner, you know the cursor mm-hmm. when something's loading? It kept getting frozen. It would work, but it kept getting frozen on the loading icon. So I had to go into GTK Tweak and just reset it three times to get it to stop. Uh, uh, that's, like, it's weird. That's that's glitchy, right? It's That's what I'm saying. It wasn't broken per se, but there are there are weird glitchy ui bugs and I, and I talked to some people and everybody basically has your complaint that well because unity is using old gtk and it's shitty and the programs that you're probably installing are not expecting old gtk and therefore problems yeah right? and it just gets worse the longer it remains this way and the problem is is canonical has been shipping it that way for a couple of years now but is it wrong to say that I kind of don't give a crap? That sounds like not my problem. No, in fact, I think, man, uh, that is that is pretty much the opinion of any regular user. That's, I don't care why it doesn't look right. I, mean, I don't it, care why it doesn't work. You know, what we, like when I publish a Mac desktop application, I can't say, oh, but they changed Aqua. Everybody remember Aqua, the the UI thing they used to call on Mac? It's still technically there. Oh, they changed Aqua, so it looks different. You know, there's no more blue pinstripes anymore. If my application looks out old or weird or glitchy they blame me right you see you see where I, you see where i'm getting what if what if 
What if the real average user is more like your average enterprise user, where the UI is like tertiary to everything else? Like functionality and being able to use it the way I wanted to use it are the first two requirements, and how it looks is like, and how well it works is like a third requirement, maybe. Well, it's funny because this morning I literally figured out the optimal workflow. It's do one workspace right because I do the, Mm -hmm. you know, that's just terminal in big freaking full Mm -hmm. screen. Mm -hmm. That works well for me too. And from the command line, I just open up uh, all my IntelliJ, oh, I'm sorry, all my JetBrains, sponsor the show, tools. <laughs> Seriously. And then they each have their own little workspace. Yeah. And yes, I can't install Postgres because Postgres is evil, but that's not Ubuntu's fault. But I got it to work. Eventually. I'll tell you, you know, it was when I switched to GNOME 3, I was like, I was a big GNOME hater when I did it. I thought, I, th- I really thought it was the sign that the Linux community had jumped the shark and they were never going to ship a usable desktop. And uh, so I was like, I gotta, I gotta jump in. And what I have to realize when I went in is, there were there were prejudice I was holding about the way. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if I'm using a Mac, which I've used on and off since the '80s, because um, my mom was in graphic arts early on, so there was always a Mac around the house. There's a Mac laying around, sure. Yeah, when I'm using a Mac. I, I generally just have a lot of windows open, and I kind of arrange them in a way where I can move between any of them by clicking. Like, like I'll have one like with a corner yeah. tucking out under another one, or something. You, you like make that. like a little ghetto tiled desktop. Yeah, and yeah. I and I and I've it, so a lot of people when they see me do this, they're like, "Oh yeah, you should totally get a tiled window manager or something." And I'm like, "Well, this I've, I've I've literally been doing this for like 20 years plus, and it's it's really natural and instinctual to me. Uh, I arrange the windows without any thought. It just when I sit down at the Mac, that's how I start using it. I kind of use Windows that way, too, actually. Um, when I'm on Linux, what I had to, when I'm on GNOME specifically, what I realized is, if I'm willing to change from that use, that workflow, into a workflow where what I do now, and I can't really show it on the screen, is I have one desktop that's dedicated to my web browser, and then I have one desktop that's dedicated to like an app I'm checking out or using, or maybe it's my file manager. I have another desktop that's often uh, dedicated to the chat room, which I just don't have open on this machine right now. And then I have a desktop that's uh, that's dedicated to like my music program or Spotify or something like that, and you know, or a terminal or whatever. I just I each de- usually any desktop any application I span I plan to do some some real work in gets its own desktop. And if it's just something I'm referencing real quick, I'll I'll do the multiple window multiple window thing, um, but. Uh, or, like, sometimes I'll do, like, I'll have two windows on one desktop or something. You know, I'll do that a little bit. But really what I told myself to do is I said, use GNOME the way they kind of want you to use it for one month. Give it a one-month test. And if at the end of that one month I've used it and I don't like it, I can legitimately say it's not a workflow for me. And I stuck with that. I actually did it for one month. And at the end of it, I, like, loved it. I really thought, okay, sure. this is working really well for me. Um, and, you know, since then, Windows 10 now has virtual desktops, Mac OS has spaces and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, for some reason on those desktops, I'm not compelled to use the, that feature. Oh, my God. I use it all the time on Mac. You, so you're a spaces funny. user? Yeah. I, I, so yeah, then the have, transition under Linux probably wasn't that difficult so my, for you. My, the, the big difference between my workflow uh, right now is on Mac, the first – let's just use the term workstation because I – is that really what they're called, spaces on Mac? I never knew that. Um, yeah, I think they're called spaces. Okay, so spaces. The first space is a browser, i.e. Stack Overflow. 
with a terminal window because I do have a 27 inch. I think wait, yeah. Now I think the chat room saying it's called Mission Control. Now it used oh, to be called Spaces. Ever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. Doesn't matter. Doesn't vir- virtual freaking desktops. One OS used to call them workstations. I know that for a fact. Yeah, yeah like the Sun ones did, but now they're just they're really just virtual desktops. Whatever. But yeah, that's all they are. But. And then, like, Xcode or Android Studio or, you know, RubyMine. By the way, almost all JetBrains products right there, guys. I'm just saying. (laughs) Uh, Throwing it. Help. Project Rider that I hacked into their servers and got, you know, just come on, guys. Um, (laughs) Are, like, all full screen in their own workstation, in their own space, IDEs. Or, you know, sometimes Atom if I'm doing something webby and weird or ionic, right? On Ubuntu, the only real difference is... The first space is full screen terminal. And I think the reason is I don't like, like on Mac, I do command space and I launch things from Spotlight. For some reason, the Unity launcher is like actually psychologically deranged. And I keep trying to open Android Studio and it keeps wanting me to buy music from Amazon or something. Oh. So I gave up on that and I, do every, I did all the terminal links and I do everything from, uh, you know, like it's like, so I have Android Studio to a studio right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i made my sim link same thing for remind it's mine yeah, that's a nice way to do it well they have built-in ones and i just alias them to things that make sense or yeah. that makes sense to me um i mean i i, mean, I don't know why canonical can't just fix the freaking launcher thing yeah but, i know you know i've just kind of adapted around that right it's supposed to it's supposed to learn so well, if you start typing A N and then and then and then you know select go go over 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 and then select the right icon, eventually that's always supposed to be the one that comes up. But yeah, it's terrible though. I'm not going to do that. Like yeah, yeah. I, here's the thing though, right? If any of these Unity problems ever became too obnoxious, or maybe I'm going to give it like a full month with Unity, and if I decide that it's still, you know, just not where I need it to be, I'll go to Mate. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you know, there are just like there's launchers for Mac OS. There's launchers like, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Synapse and, and Gnome Do are a couple that work pretty good. I, I used to use the Alfred launcher for Mac OS. Yeah, and then yeah. I realized the only things I do in Spotlight are the most basic. I type out the name of an application. Yeah. And I hit return. Right. It's. Yeah. Um, so now, uh, before we go into uh, any more of it. Is there is there any other like uh, sort of big revelations from when you switched over to the for, to, from the mini or the Dell and were like, holy crap, this is way easier, better, faster, yeah, more efficient? So there, there was a few things, um, and they're kind of touchy feely, like philosophical things about different apps I've been using on Ubuntu. Hmm. One, most people on OS ten seem to agree on certain conventions, right? I don't know if it's because we're compelled to if we want to be in the Mac App Store by the Human Interface Guidelines. Um, but there's there's a general, like, this is how shit works, where if I download any app on the Mac apps for other than games or, you know, pro apps, they all kind of are navigable in the same way. That does not seem to exist on Ubuntu Interesting. You would say a lot of app Mac apps are sort of, you could almost trace their UI lineage back to early iTunes or, you know, you got yeah. the side column, you got the middle application. Right, 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 right. yeah. Yeah, uh, it, you know it's funny because some Ubuntu apps are very Mac OS ten, like very like like uh, uh, the Twitter client I'm using, um, mm. something Bird, Corebird, Corebird. That could be a Mac app, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, I, that's a good example of a nice GTK three application, right? A lot of other stuff kind of looks busted. 
And that's I keep coming back to the best, the most enjoyable interface is just the command line. Um, but again, it's hard, I think, to blame it. And I've read the Ubuntu forums and people blame Canonical for all kinds of things. But <laughs> it, I don't know how you can blame Canonical for the fact that there's just not that much good GUI software that looks native, right? It all seems to work fairly well, but yeah. Yeah, and I would say, oh, this is all going to change in Unity eight. They have the new. I don't think so. No, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of apps that have a very similar design. They they really have a very clear design language uh, with these new apps. The ones I have seen, um, even the third party menu uh, app creators are definitely following those design hints. That said, that's going to be just a percentage of the apps you will use on a Linux desktop because so many other apps are going to be created by people that aren't targeting specifically Unity 8. I don't think this is a problem that's ever going to go on Linux. I really don't. And, you know, the people that are trying to solve it uh, are the folks over at Elementary OS. And to do so... They're making it look like Mac. <laughs> they are, yes. I mean, and, that's their move, right? And, like, uh, they just announced uh, they're, they are porting, you know, the Gary development from Yobra or whatever their name was stopped. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, they're taking the source code from Geary, and they're making their uh, their own email client. And uh, as part of that, they're making it sort of follow a design convention for elementary OS. As a result, two things. They now have a stable of apps that look all very similar. The other thing is, that now means they're maintaining all of these apps or their community is, which is going to add weight. It's going to slow them down. And, 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 and sort of also uh, unrelated... They look like totally out of place on any other Linux desktop. So unless well, you're using elementary OS, like they just don't look like they belong. You know, one other point I would make, just just as like a someone you know who does publish indie dev software occasionally, right? There is a certain ease of working in an environment where you are compelled or strongly encouraged to do things a certain way. Uh, well, certain decisions example, are made for you. They're made for you, and if there's a weird problem with that decision. 4,000 people are on Stack Overflow bitching about it right now, right? And one of them has a little workaround that's going to work for you where, you know, what's really interesting is last time I had a dalliance with Ubuntu, everybody was running everything in Python, right? Now I'm seeing people are on the forums talking a hell of a lot about Vala again, which is weird because I thought Vala went away. I remember Vala from, like, years ago. People were... They'll never die, man! Right. Um... And then there's this whole other class of people like, well, if you want to do cross-platform, let's talk about Electron, which is kind of where I come down. I think that's, you know, that's probably the least bad option if you care about cross-platform at all. Hmm. Um, but again, you're not getting that native integration that you might want. You, you're sure shit not getting it in Unity, right? Yeah. Because I don't, I don't think the folks over at GitHub are, are building any of that in for you. So do you think you maybe would be happier with something like Elementary OS? And, you know, I'll tell you this uh, – my son's been running it for uh, just short of a year on his uh, Dell uh, Sputnik, and uh, it's been one of the best OSs that I take care of for the family. Um, every update's pretty much... There was one update that, that broke Wi-Fi, <laughs> but uh, that was kind of my bad, too. I like um, how you define the best OS as the one that broke Wi-Fi. Well, that was because I was screwing around with stuff. It was sort of my fault. But But otherwise, it's been a really good, solid experience for him that's very easy to navigate it does have a very consistent look and after a year of running it the look still to me looks good it still looks are you i mean so i again probably not fair for me to pass judgment I, and i like that they have a developer page 
I think, I mean, what you might like is that they just have a lot of effort and intention behind the look and integration of things. It's super, oh my god, these are the guys pimping Vala. Is that what this is? Yes, yes. Um, yes. They, uh, they, Giri, their, their elementary OS apps, a lot of them are written in Vala. I, I used to fool around with Geary a little bit. Yeah. Some GitHub stuff for that. All right, so here's my problem with elementary OS coming from the Mac. <laughs> it looks like the Mac. Yes. Right, at that point, am I not just running a Mac that I can't make builds on? <laughs> Basically. Well, I guess if you like the UI of the Mac, but also like the Linux command line, you know. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, no. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I, I, I think what they would tell you, what their defense would be is, we are not copying the Mac. What we are doing is designing good interface, and a lot of times it happens to look like Mac apps. So the all roads lead to Rome argument, basically. I, I guess, yeah. Sort of the yeah. same argument we hear from Samsung and others. But I mean, it obviously looks good, and I, and here's the thing, right? And I, in fact, I got a couple weird messages from people over the last two weeks since we've been talking about it on the show. The fact that I'm using Ubuntu, well, now more than half time, does not mean I hate OS ten, right? I mean, I thought that would go without saying. <laughs> But clearly I'm mistaken based on my inbox. Um, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a Boolean thing. I mean, one of the reasons is that I'm curious, and obviously, you know, JB is a very Linux-heavy audience, so it probably would be a good idea for me to kind of think about understanding where you guys are coming from. But the other reason is perfectly practical. These Macs are expensive, like super expensive. Yeah, and I really can't drop two grand every time I need to like make a workstation, right? Right. It, it's a little silly. That you know, Noah and I were talking about in last on the uh, live stream yesterday. Is that that uh, Mac Mini you have there? How much do you suppose? Do you remember how much you paid for that? Probably five six hundred bucks, right? I paid eight hundred. I found I have. Ooh. I keep all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's now. I mean, and, and and the planned obsolescence. Yeah. And here's the thing: you can now get a NUC, a core. Now it, it is a Celeron NUC, but it's a decent. I mean, the newer Celerons are nicer. You can get a NUC with an SSD and RAM for two hundred eighty nine dollars. Okay, doesn't System seventy six make one of those puck computers? I yeah, they have they have the Meerkat. Yeah, that's that was a nicer one, so it's more like six hundred dollars. But I'm saying you can actually get an x eighty six Intel NUC for around two, you know, say three hundred dollars if you put maybe sixteen gigs of RAM in it. That's wow. Okay, that's really cheap. I know that's why I'm, that's where maybe the elementary OS angle kind of makes sense. You want a well designed OS that has a consistent design language throughout it, but you don't, and you know, but you're perfectly fine, you know, buying a three hundred dollar NUC off Amazon. I don't know. I kind of think that's fine, right? But you know, ultimately, I. You know, the fact that there are problems in both systems doesn't mean one is better than the other. Yeah. And I, I really, you know, what, like the tone of the, the emails I was getting was very like, you know, A must be better, greater than B or B must be greater than A, right? There, there was no like, so one guy literally wrote, oh, so when are you just going to quit the Mac full time? And the answer is never, right? <laughs> because I need to make builds. Like at the bare minimum, I have to have a Mac server running somewhere. Mm. That's compiling and code signing and doing all that awful stuff you have to do. I think, because, yeah. I think there is definitely a minority of people who really see you can only be one or the other. You have to commit. But I think a lot of people view them as tools and recognize that there's probably a job that the Mac's capable of, in this case, iOS builds. 
that that Linux is not capable of. But there's also many tasks that Linux is capable of that can do it just as fine or perhaps better. What? To me, it sounds like the framework wars, right? Like, oh, I write PHP and you write Java, so you're a monster. Although, really, it's the other way around. But, you know, for me, too, uh, Linux would be a better, a superior platform for video editing if I, if I could, because I could, I, I, I could have um, much more specific hardware, uh, hardware drive arrays than I can under the Mac. Um, I could have a much better file system. I could have a lot better native yeah. performance, but because I can't, you know, there's an area where, okay, well, we'll still use a Mac for, for Final Cut for a while, and I can't really do a lot about that in the meantime. So that's an example of, for me, that's a tool. I, it's not a matter of I prefer one OS over the other. It's literally the QuickTime pipeline and Final Cut are not available for this platform, and the stuff that is available isn't competitive. Now, there's flip sides to that, too. Uh, I, 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 so I find it to be kind of... I kind of find it to be an old argument, an old black and white argument that I don't think really a lot of people are worried about anymore. So I wouldn't get too upset by the emails because to me it seems like those people are probably not in a position where they have to depend on software that's only available on another platform. And so they just aren't, aren't, aren't exposed to that perspective. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to look at it. I, you know, and we've spent a whole lot of, we spent a lot more time talking about this than I wanted to. We spent yeah. virtually the whole show. Yeah. But uh, I, I think the bottom line of this segment is that JetBrains need to start sending us. <laughs> Yeah, right? Right? Yeah. And and if you're forced to use Ubuntu for a little while, it turns out it's not that bad. <laughs> but, you know, Unity's launcher is terrible. Sorry. Yeah, you know what? You could sum all that up with a little more you know. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So uh, we we could conclude the Apple Talk with a quick note about Swift. Do you want to do that? Or yeah, do you so want to scratch it? Okay, yeah. I want to do that. And, you know, we'll scratch my topic and do it next oh, week. All right. Wow. Well, okay. Then let me take a pause. I'll thank Linux Academy. Uh, and then we do have one email that's kind of revel- relevant to our conversation we should get to today. And I could really quickly mention the Cyanogen thing if you want, but we'll figure that out post-show. Or, I mean, post-Linux post Academy read. And then maybe we'll take your topic, because I even got, like, graphics for it. I was anticipating. I So oh, we'll say, well, one. One, it's a Simpsons graphic. But you'll just have to wait till next week, because we can make it next week's topic. Jeez. All right. Yeah, all right. So first, I'll tell you about Linux Academy. Support the show. Keep us going. And get yourself educated at linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's the magic URL. The magic URL. linuxacademy.com slash coders. Great deal over there. And you support the show. This is a super great platform. Over 2,332 self-paced courses. I love this. You can work at your convenience at a speed that is comfortable to you. And they have 2,332 of them. Downloadable comprehensive study guides, videos. You can watch audio, PDFs. It's the good stuff. Scenario-based labs. You'll work in their advanced lab environment. Complete scenarios from beginning to end. Instructor mentoring like nobody else. Instructor mentoring is available. If you get stuck, you need help, you got a question, you want to watch a live stream and ask live questions, Linux Academy does that. For these advanced, complicated topics that the other guys can barely even cover to begin with. They have graded server exercises, which is a really, really good practice way. If you, like me, suck at taking tests, graded exercises are nice. You perform specific tasks, and Linux Academy automatically grades your actions so you can see how well you did. Red Hat, Python, OpenStack, Android Development, PHP, Amazon Web Services. One of the things I love about Linux Academy is they spin up the infrastructure on demand as part of the courseware. It's just part of your subscription, part of the courseware. Seven-plus distros you choose from, they automatically adjust the courseware to match your preference, and they spin up the virtual machines when the courseware requires it, including 
the AWS stuff. And they have really good AWS courses. Uh, in fact, on their weekly update, let's see here. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people who passed AWS tests this week on Linux Academy. Congratulations to Tom and John and Matthew and Lucas. A couple of Johns in there. And one, two, three, four, five, six folks who passed Linux tests this week over at Linux Academy. And, uh, Mike, you'll be familiar with this one. Quick update. Linux Academy is going to have an iOS app soon, which is awesome. Just waiting on that oh. App Store approval. Just oh. wait. Yeah. <laughs> They're just a couple of weeks now. They've been waiting on that App Store approval for a couple of weeks. <laughs> we know how that goes, don't we? So, you know, Linux Academy is there. They've got great courseware based around the stuff you want. They have an exploding staff making sure all the courseware stays relevant. They get new stuff on. The people that are working on this stuff love it. They're passionate about it. That's a huge deal for Linux Academy, and it comes through. In-depth resources to help you learn the stuff that you need to do to do your job. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. Go check them out. Support the show. Visit them. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Okay. So do you want to talk about the uh, Swift thing? Do you want to talk about that at all? Gloss over it real quick. Just super quick. The big news today. Big news today. Breaking news. Um, IBM and Apple are solidifying their marriage with... um, Swift-powered clouds via IBM. Is that yeah, fair? That's pretty uh, much that's the long and short of it, is the deal is expanding, and now there's, IBM is positioning themselves as the premier cloud platform for your Swift code. I was trying to find some more details on, like, what is this like? Is this like an Azure mobile services type play? Yeah, yeah. Is this like a little, like, cloud It's kit, so which... laced in corporate speak. Could you even... I have no idea what the solution Yeah, is. it's hard to parse. It, yeah, I know I th- that... It, expensive because it's from IBM and another runs Swift so okay you know when they made their first deal it was really kind of ambiguous too and then you actually started to see okay it's it's actually developing uh, well okay so he, here's here's the line right what what the IBM cloud now provides enterprise app developers with is a set of tools for writing software in Swift that's intended to run on servers rather than smartphones okay but there's like 20 open source projects that do that already but fine um, why Right. I think, I think, um, I think for some reason there's more to IBM working with Apple than we're taking. Some, like yes. there's more to it. I, I wonder if it's an anti Google move. It feels like an anti Microsoft move, right? That too. Yeah, that too. It feels like it feels like IBM making a hedge. You know, because I, I, you know, I really have two sets of customers. There are the customers who can afford to deal with Microsoft. And the ones that can't. And what's right? the risk for IBM here? Swift is now open source, right? Well, so they the have an insurance is, policy there. Well, the risk is they develop this infrastructure and this. Uh, I'm assuming they're developing some kind of software platform that they're not just saying, "Yeah, here's an Ubuntu server, run Swift on it." But who the hell knows? Um, I mean, there's a risk of losing money, right, or of not getting sales. I'll tell you what it does is it it outsources a particular component that Apple is not extremely strong at. And um, gives it to a company that's sort of all they have left. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, so that seems like where the IBM Apple marriage kind of makes sense, right? Because yeah. Apple, you know, I was trying to stream a movie on Apple TV, and of course, iTunes was having problems this weekend. Tim Cook says that he sees Enterprise as a major part of the company's growth going forward, and taking advantage of the IBM partnership to get Swift into more businesses is a big part of that. I don't get it. I mean, are they going to try to, like, go after Java EE developers? IBM already has 100 enterprise apps 
that it, Apple created through its part that it's created through its partnership with Apple, and all of them are written in Swift. Yeah, but that's that's if you're an IBM customer and you want to deploy iOS devices. Yeah, so that uh, that must be what this is: is people that have iPads and iOS devices in house that need yeah, backend server infrastructure for these Swift applications, and they want to write it in Swift. This, this is what we like, were talking about a couple of weeks. This is what we were talking about like three weeks ago, man. Is Swift could take off because if you can come in and write the front end and back end, and all these people are bringing in iPads and iPhones, anyways. But who's going to do that? Well, <laughs> like, who's, who's somebody like must be doing it. IBM's not dumb, right? Yeah, but all these enterprises have like .NET and Java developers on staff right there that can write them something in Java EE, and they're going to run those mobile versions on what? What do you Phones mean? Phones that have a one percent market share. They could do what they've been doing for seven years, hire a contractor to develop the mobile app that just ties into the back end. I, I think – I don't understand why they – I mean just if for me personally, I don't understand why any app developed internally wouldn't just be mostly a web app. But that said, that being said, um, one of the things we keep hearing over and over again, some of the rhetoric about this IBM Apple deal is bring your own device has fundamentally changed the enterprise. And it, it, I did begin to see that. Uh, I, I came from an era where you had a company-issued BlackBerry and uh, that's what you got. And I watched that era very, very, very quickly transform into, well, this person has an iPhone, so we make an exception to pretty much, oh, yeah, if you want to get an iPhone, we'll just give you $100 credit towards it. Hey, man, I got a lot of early dev jobs that way. Yeah, this, we got a new CEO. He's got a Mac, and uh, yeah, you need to write a version of this for it. <laughs> so I could, yeah, so maybe it really is making a difference. Um, is it, okay, but why? You haven't answered the question, right? So the app on the CEO's phone, sure. And, and the reason it's not a web app, by the way, is because people hear web app and sometimes they think cheap. Uh, and I've had this happen several times, pitching Ionic, pitching hybrid solutions like that. They, some people at some levels have, um, well, I think I mentioned this on the show before. I had one client who told me, well, Android is for poor people, right? Yeah. There's a perception that the native Apple solution is the premier solution. Um I guess it feels so short-sighted to – why would you go through the era of Microsoft lock-in and then just hand it over to Apple and, and be locked into well, iOS devices? This makes no sense to me, right? Because the world as it exists today, you know, if you're a mobile app developer, is company – let's call them Acmeco, right? Just, you know, Wiley Coyote's company calls you and says, hey, we've got this uh, this service we use on our desktops. There's a web backend. We want a mobile version of it. Here's the API documentation. Hopefully, there's API documentation. Go ahead and tie into that. I think the well, chat room, I, the chat room is getting close, and here's what I think it is, Mike. Go ahead. Is I think it's a it's a it's a series of dominoes that easily fall. Um, and what that is is a lot of iOS devices come into the enterprise. They have a long lifespan, you know, because they get four years of OS updates. So people are sticking with them for a while, and. You have enterprises that are going to be damn cheap and efficient, and they're, they're going to say, why, why have two people when I can have one person write the front end and the back end? Okay, but virtually no enterprise is writing a brand new web service for their mobile app, right? They are, ha- they are modifying or having you tie into their existing service. So it is more expensive and, but that existing, to then go, but, but that existing service. But here's why it's easy: because that existing service and infrastructure is likely already a deal in partnership with IBM. IBM has so many deals and partnerships that they don't have to resell. They they can sell into their existing established right. relationships. If you have your your web service that was written in Java five years ago that you've been updating. You have a core team of Java developers, which many of these enterprises do. 
or Microsoft, but let's do Java because I think it's probably more common. Why the hell would you rewrite that in Swift just because? This is, Greenfield, maybe, right? Greenfield, because, you know, Apple You have to have a motivation, but there must be just enough out... There must be enough projects out there, right? I mean, you take you take all of the thousands and thousands of custom I business apps out there. I, there's turnover. I, there's churn, eventually. Every meeting I take is about minimizing the amount that they have to change on their end. I agree. I've never... I mean... But you, I've never had an enterprise customer come to me and say, Mike, fuck it, we're throwing it out. You know, I have had a couple where they're like, we have to completely rewrite the app because it depends on a plugin for Internet Explorer. And that my, my last big client was definitely one of those. And they were rewriting for iOS, but they were creating a web app. <laughs> so I, I, to me, the long-term investment would be to create something that's web-powered. Um, if you create a custom native app, you know what you're probably doing is you're probably writing a wrapper for your web app. Or you're creating a wrapper for your exactly. back-end you're, application. You're writing, a, you're writing a client for your web app. That's yes. all you're doing. Yeah. But uh, let me tell you a little secret. Enterprise customers are crazy. They're nuts. I agree with the anime. The game is essentially afoot. There is there there. This is the beginning piece of a bigger yes. thing, and I think it's a something else is happening. And right? you know what else I find to be fascinating about, it, and this is my personal opinion, is Apple being one of the largest companies in the world. Obviously, one of the largest tech companies in terms of revenue. And I, it, to me. It feels like they are a pawn in a larger game IBM is playing. Like somehow it feels like Apple is actually the one getting moved around here, even though they're benefiting. Like I, this seems to me like a hedge by IBM or some kind of move by IBM to cut out a deal with Microsoft or or Red Hat or Google or whoever. Right? It just feels like a hedge. Is that is that really? I would not. I'm just throwing so, out names. I don't so, know who it is. I'm just I'm not I'm not because I don't want to make it sound like it's an anti Google thing. It just it does feel like a a partnership which, that they struck right. with Apple to avoid somebody else getting a foothold. See, if I'm Apple, I think I'm kind of the bell of the ball, right? Because all of my competitors, I'm kind of beating where it matters, right? I'm beating them in terms of selling really expensive hardware to people, and the things I'm bad at are all their strengths. So, like, you know, the IBM Apple marriage makes sense. Why the Apple Microsoft marriage hasn't you know, happened? They're beating. You know what, Mike? They're not just beating them. They are beating them in a way that is unbelievable. Because what they are beating well, is an, it's yeah. an entrenched system. They're beating an entrenched system where the people when you get a job they get a BlackBerry or you get a Microsoft controlled device. They're still winning even when that is the competition they were moving into. Now I'm sure some companies are like, no iPhones here. Like that's still a thing. But in terms of like people just bringing their own devices, it's amazing how much how much success they've gotten in the business without even really trying. They're running the table. Right. I mean, there's no way around that. I would even say they're they're actually Google is not holding its own. It's starting to finally lose ground only because, you know, I and this might be my praising. I think Google has in a way devalued the Android brand. Um, You know, go clean up your app store. Right. I just just want to throw it out there. It's gotten better. But yeah, it's gotten better. But, you know, and and I understand developing markets and that's what you've decided to do. But. Boy, are those Chinese people really happy to get iPhones. Oh, and by the way, the developing market's uh, getting less, you know, less poor every day. Um, and Apple doesn't seem shy about cutting prices anymore when they need to. Well, and so, the 5C, you know, go, becomes right, the free phone. And, models like free. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, my, my, I have an eight-year-old brother who got an iPhone. Because why? It was free. Hmm. I mean, it, it's a little ridiculous. Um, I... What I don't understand in this deal, and I'm not asking you to answer it because we'll see it in the coming months, is I understand what IBM gets out of this deal. 
relevance, and that's something they desperately need. The fact that Business Insider wrote an article about IBM that doesn't involve the word layoffs hmm. is great because that's what they've been doing. Um, but I would not trust – I would not – if I was Tim Cook, I would not be taking IBM to bed because they are sneaky as shit, right? I mean just if you go read some uh, – there's a great book by Rob uh, Robert X. Cringely. He's the guy who did those old PBS shows about the uh, first PC revolution then the internet. IBM has a really bad habit of screwing their employees and their partners. Well, so does Apple, though. Especially if you're like someone from the United States and they want to hire someone. At from, least the Steve Jobs era was was famous for screwing right. partners. Right, but Steve Jobs knew enough to hate them. Right? I mean, just yeah. saying. You know, yes, he dealt with them in next, but they don't have a good history of being honest brokers. Some of us are bitter, perhaps, but you know, I. And I have no personal grudge against them. I've never dealt with them at all, other than like three phone calls inquiring about offering their services. Um, but hmm. you know, yeah. just just go ahead and you know, even go to like uh, ZDNet or any of those uh, tech sites and just search on IBM, search the archives about their most recent stories, other than Apple, and you'll get a picture not of a healthy technology company, right? But of a company that is, is sort of restructuring. Restructuring is a nice way to say firing everybody who's not making you know three dollars an hour. Right. I mean, uh, I, so, I, I guess I want to conclude the Apple conversation here on 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 this um, and the relevant. So two things. Um, this is going to increase the relevancy of Swift, which is sort of the big picture thing to take away from this conversation. Is this is this is moving Swift up a, a notch? Uh, and, and number two, and that's something we don't really have time to get into today, is it to me thoroughly underscores how critical the DOJ versus uh, Apple or the FBI versus Apple cases right now because of these devices in enterprise corporate espionage is absolutely a thing and when you weaken these devices it also means it's going to weaken the devices in all of corporate America and so it's just something to think about depending on which way this case goes I, I do not see Apple winning I mean it, 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 it seems insane but. Yeah, I don't see them winning either because they're not actually asking for a backdoor to encryption. What they're asking for is the ability to brute force the passcode. And what right. they're really asking for is a it's... removal of the delay in when you're trying to enter a bunch of passcodes and the removal of the 10-entry wipe. It's not only like that. There, there's a lot of uh, – I'll be a tool. There's a lot of stupid people who are scared of things they don't need to be scared of. Right? Well, yeah, for sure. But you know and, what? And that's going to work. I think like, it might actually – you know what I th- now I think about it, Mike? If you think about the practical implementation of how – so what we have here is we have an iPhone 5C that is currently locked, right? Passcode required to enter it. You enter it 10 times, it's going to wipe the phone. Here's my question. How do you install an iOS update on a phone that is locked? You can't. You have to unlock the phone before the update will install. So if Apple wrote a forked version of iOS that removed the 10-entry wipe, there's no way to get it on the phone. So I actually think what they are asking for is actually a backdoor because Apple would have to bypass that restriction to reflash the phone. So it's not just a matter of they're asking for pin code bypass. They're also asking so for – So let me ask you a question. Why do you care if it's a backdoor, front door, or window? If the end result is I can break your encryption and unlock your phone and get your personal data, I don't give a rat's ass how they did it. Well, because I mean, why, the, why because the case the case that the James James Comey and the FBI is making today is this is a narrow request. We're asking just to be able to bypass their passcode. We're not asking to backdoor encryption. We don't want to backdoor on every iPhone. What we want is just to simply buy, turn off the ten entry wipe, and then we will brute force the password entry. 
That's how they're pitching it. But okay, in order to Apple bypass that, that tool, in order for that, Apple to install that ability on the phone, you would have to have a backdoor on the phone to bypass the fact that it is locked right now to install the update that turns off the update wipe. So Apple's position seems to be that they can't do it. Well, what they can't what they can't do is they don't have they don't have well they they can do it they absolutely can do it uh, right, but I they they don't have the code that exists so they'd have to create it and now if you ask me that's asking for somebody because in the past courts have ruled that code is speech that is precedent that is in law today so Apple will hide behind the Fifth Amendment because well, or the First Amendment saying you are forcing speech you are you know this is a violation of freedom of speech Fair yeah I. I, I'm sorry, and I agree with you, but I don't see a world where they're not compelled to do this. Yeah, I agree. But there was, it's, it's no so, mistake that it was a San Bernardino shooting. There's, there's, there's lots of other phones out there. And by the way, and just in case you guys don't know, I'm sure everybody does, but Apple did cough up and hand over the iCloud backup. So remember all this bullshit about how secure your, your physical iPhone is. The, the, an image as copy. Soon as you turn iCloud on, you're fucked. Yeah, I mean, an image copy over. is yeah. up on Apple servers, and they can go get it with with a subpoena anytime they want. They don't even need to get your phone. The only reason why they can't do it in this case is because after the phone was in FBI custody, the iCloud account password was changed. Which well, guess some, what? Some cop made a mistake and tried to reset the password. Something like that. Yes, so or they, somebody they, at the San Bernardino. They, somebody at San Bernardino, San Bernardino did. Yeah, submitted. They yeah. screwed up. So had they not made that mistake, by the way, Apple would have happily done it. So, that, so that's the really interesting part about this. Exactly. The, the I, thing we're all missing is your iCloud backup is actually the weakest link in the chain. But you know, Just real quick, I know Chris hates politics, but one thing to consider on all this kind of privacy stuff is it's a little law called the Patriot Act. <laughs> yeah. Which has, to date, not successfully been used to prosecute terrorism. But it has put plenty of minor league tax cheats in jail and minor league drug dealers in jail. And I'm not saying that tax cheats and drug dealers are, are necessarily people we should want to protect. But, you know, a guy who takes an extra deduction on his tax return, does he not have the right to not be you know compelled to testify against himself? And is it really appropriate that his bank will totally sell him out? Hmm. I'm just saying, like... Or, is, or a cellular carrier. I mean, they could get copies of right. all the well, metadata. Your bank, if you... In fact, I needed cash uh, six months ago when I was going out of Florida, and I had to withdraw from the bank. And the manager of the bank came yeah. talked. She said, "Just so you know, if you do this two more times within the quarter, I have to report it because so, they're going to see that you're hiding income." Azer's pointing out, and I didn't. I, I I do remember. I recall this that now the San Bernardino Police Department's claiming that the FBI told them to reset the password. That's why just orders that worked real well in Germany too. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it is sort of a big deal, this case, I think, because I think it has implications on if code is speech, which I think is relevant to everybody listening, and I think it has implications on the security of these devices that are in corporate America, which is very relevant to a lot of people's interests. They're going to get it. There's I, no way they won't get it. So in the show notes, real quick, I'm just going to give it a mention. Uh, CyanogenToday today announced uh, a platform for deeper integration with apps in Android, which is basically like an API to lower levels of Cyanogen. Skype is taking advantage of it to get a native dialer for VoIP calling. Cortana is going to get free multitasking for hands-free, including voice-activated selfies. Uh, they're going to also get hyperlapse integrated with the camera. OneNote's going to have many entry points into the OS. TrueCaller, the only non-Microsoft product, is going to get uh, spam call blocking capabilities. Uh, I was, it almost sounds like they made a deal with Microsoft, but yeah. Well, they're making. You know what? The truth is, is they did, but they're making these the API available to anybody. It looks like that's coming. I don't know if that's going to really move the needle at all, but it's it's an interesting way to compete with Google using Android, which I find to be fascinating. And Microsoft continuing to invest in Cyanogen. 
which is uh, kind of funny. Uh, last but not least, Peak Poo J writes in. Dev laptop pro tips. Mike mentioned using Rails on Ubuntu. Here's my two cents while my setup at work. Our app uses JSONB in Postgres. So in order to integrate, in order to do integration tests on the whole stack, we use Docker Compose to orchestrate the container setup and link the app container to a Postgres container. Now that's a really complicated thing he just said there. But what he's really saying is it is very simple to use Docker Compose. I've done this to say this container can talk to this container for database purposes. They're linked. Uh, he says, I know Docker was covered on the show a long time ago, but if you haven't checked it out, the new newer tooling around Docker, it's much more mature now than when it was just the Docker file. That's very true, too. Uh, very cool thing now that, you know, I, I know it's it's sort of dumping in the deep end, but once you've been on Ubuntu for a little while, you might consider replaying with the Docker stuff because there's a lot of good guides now, really good tools, and it makes, uh, you know, setting up, an, uh, set up, setting up an environment, working in it, snapshotting it and blowing away, restoring all that really easy, just a couple of commands. And not only that, but there's a lot of good containers that you'll just, you can just inherit software. You can get a whole software setups and save a ton of time. Uh, I'm not saying you should put it in production, but if you're just using it to test or build stuff, it's a really cool tool. Uh, so, and that's that's something that uh, um, is pretty nice, and something I've been playing more and more with Mike. So now, once you get comfortable, once you get your sea legs, might be worth checking out. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, guess what? We got a lot to cover next week on the show. There's a couple other things we we're here to cover. Thank you to uh, Pinky Poo Jay. For going to CodaRadio.reddit.com and submitting feedback, that's where you go to give feedback to this episode, to give us links and discussions to talk about, topics you think would be interesting. Or you can follow Mike on the Twitters. Mike, where would they go to do that? That's at Dimanuco on Twitter. That's magic. You can follow me at Chris Elias. The show's live on Mondays. We do it at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern at jblive.tv. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get it converted to your local time zone. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. Oh, you know, I'll leave you with this. We also like your emails. Send us in some of those. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact. We appreciate it. All right, and now I'll wrap it up by saying thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here next week. <laughs>